Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. If you would find on your listening sheet, Job chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. This is our reverse text for this week. And we're going to read this aloud together. This then is our text for today. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Let him remove his rod from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I am not like that in myself. May God bless the reading of his word. When I was a kid growing up in Carrizo Springs, one of my favorite things in the world to do was to play football in the street. We would play for hours on end, running plays late into the summer nights. And depending on how many people are around, there was always a quarterback, and there was always a receiver and a defender, and then the more people you had, the more receivers and defenders you had. Typically, we were playing touch football, and sometimes that touch football turned into slap football, and sometimes that slap football turned into something worse. One time, Michael tackled Eddie and broke his hip in the middle of the road. You see, that sort of thing happens when there are no rules or when there is no one to enforce the rules. We generally follow the rules of football, but there were times, I must admit, that I would push and I would hit more than I was supposed to, especially when I was on defense. There were times when someone ran past me, I would grab their shorts and hold on as long as I could. You can do that kind of thing when there is no ref, when there's nobody to throw a flag. But I'll say, when someone did that to me, I would yell. From the bottom of my soul, I would scream at them for cheating. And someone else would have to step in and calm everything down. In the days we were able to do that and we kept playing, there were other days when everyone just had to go home. And this is the sort of reality that Job is talking about in verse 33. Job here is saying, I I genuinely want somebody to come and and step into this situation where there is no referee. I I need a referee. I need an umpire. I, I need somebody that can step into this yard and put his arm around me put his arm around God, bring us together and say, let's work this out. Because something terribly wrong has happened here and we have to figure this out together. And Job is saying, there's no one to step in between the two of us to figure this out together. You know, there was one time I was particularly angry about something that had gone on in street football. 
And I remember very vividly uh, Clay having to put his arm around Brandon, Clay having to put his arm around me and say, let's cool off a little bit. And you know, it took me longer than it should have, but so it was. Job is telling us here that it would be wonderful if that would happen in his situation. See, he's, he's distraught in his present situation with God, and he, he doesn't know where to turn. He, he feels like there's been a violation. He feels like he has been done wrong, and he has nowhere to go and no one to talk to. There's no one between him and God this day. He needs someone to step in between them. But as he works through chapter 9, he says, who is going to put their arm around God? Who, who could be such a person that they could wrap their arm around me and say, come together, and then lift their arm up and wrap it around God himself and say, let's come together? Who could do such a thing? There is no one around me. And this is part of his, his struggle. This is part of his trial. There is no one to stand with him before God in these days, and he feels lost, and he feels abandoned, and he feels like he is nowhere to turn to and no one to turn to. Who could possibly bring God to the table? God, and this is where Job is going in, in all of, of Job chapter 9. God is, is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He has the final say in all matters of this earth and everything that surrounds it. There is no way to appeal his ways. There is no one to revoke his actions. He is the end. You know, in the NFL, if, if a ref makes a bad call, they can review it. They can go to the booth. And he's saying there, there's no booth review for God's ways. God is the ref. God is the booth. God is the final say when it comes down to matters of life and death. I have nowhere else to turn. I am left to his mercy. That is all that there is. Last year, there was a high school football player in South Texas who ran onto the field and tackled a ref after he had been ejected from the game. You know, I've known people who have tried indiscriminately to hit a ref during the game for making a call they didn't agree with. And Job's point here is, if you try to do that with God himself, if you bull rush him in your anger, you will be obliterated in God's wrath. There is no recourse that you have. You see, Job, Job is feeling this tension that we all feel at some point on this earth. See, there comes a day in all of our lives where we realize that we are inadequate. That as we survey the landscape that's around us and we recognize where we have been and where we're going, that, that we are incapable, we are inadequate, that we are broken and fragile, and we can't move forward on our own. For some of us, that takes longer than others. But eventually, we come to this point in life where we realize that we can't carry the weight of this world. We, we can't lift the massive boulders that block the way of life. When, when it comes down to it, there is no way forward for us on our own. And, and this is what Job is recognizing. Job is looking up. Job is looking around. Job is, is considering all of the past. And as he does, he fully recognizes his position on this earth that we all have to come to. 
Job is recognizing he is an ant. He, he is a peon. He is capable of nothing other than suffering. That's about all this life can add up for him at this point. You know, there once was a day in Job's life, we read about it in Job chapter 1, there once was a day when Job could get out of his bed, go out of his house, stand before the Lord, and intercede on behalf of his children. Remember, as this story unfolded, we hear that all of Job's children are tragically killed um, in, a, in a natural event as the wind came in and collapsed the house and all ten of his children die. Before their death, Job would, would regularly make sacrifices on their behalf. He would go intercede for them and pray that the Lord forgive them and, and pray that they would come to repentance and he would make sacrifices so that they might be forgiven. He, he's, he's functioning as, as a priest of the Most High for his family. But then there came a day when the priest was unable and, and he's longing, and Job is saying, Job is saying I, I can't anymore. And, and he's longing for someone to stand with him before God. He's saying, there's, there's nobody to stand with me. There's nobody who can take us both in his arms and say, let's do this together. There's no priest. There's no mediator. There's no arbiter. There's no referee. Nobody to huddle up with God and make this right and find a resolution. You see, that's what he was attempting to do for his children in chapter 1. But now there's no one to do that for him. See, the book of Hebrews reminds us that every Old Testament priest was stained by sin. And so as you work through the Old Testament, you see that the sin, uh, the, the priests had the rituals so that they might be sanctified so that they might be, be purified of their own sin, so that they could enter into to worship and, and enter into the holier places of the temple. And so they had these systems set up because every one of them were stained by sin. Every one of them were corrupted by death. Every one of them eventually all succumbed to the terrors of decay, just like Job was experiencing in this moment. Even as they offered up sacrifices to, to be a resolution to their inadequacy, the more sacrifices they offered, the more was required because the sin kept piling up more than the blood of the sacrifices was piling up. You see, even as they offered up sacrifices in man-made sanctuaries of the law, which is exactly what the Old Testament had prescribed, all of it was a shadow of the reality of heaven. All of it was a poor, black and white kind of picture of that which was in store in the days ahead. You know, these priests were a lot like pastors in this way. Because as, as a pastor, I will fail you. As pastors, we will fail you. And we will make mistakes. As priests, there was failure around every turn. There were days they were swept away by temptation. There were days when they were unable to perform their duties. There was a day when they deteriorated to the point that they could no longer, no longer do what they were called to do. And you are left without. And this is where Job finds himself. He, he finds himself without. He is without a priest. His friends are no help. His friends, they're only talking about God. They aren't interceding to God. In fact, they're not on Job's behalf. They're speculating for their own satisfaction of this moment. 
which means that Job is without. There is no one to stand before God on his behalf to argue his case for him. You see, this tragedy of Job's life is a scary proposition because as, as Job so carefully observes throughout this and in Job chapter 9, there is not a one of us who can stand before God without blame. There, there is not a one of us who deserves to walk before the throne of God and stand with him. See, the only appropriate reaction of God would be that of Sodom and Gomorrah, to rain down fire from heaven so that we would be consumed by his wrath for every indiscretion. That is the only justified action of God. But there is another way. When Jesus paraded into Jerusalem on a donkey, that was not his final destination. See, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, they were celebrating on Palm Sunday this week, this was not the culmination of Jesus' ministry. You would think with the palm branches waving and people singing and shouting and parading into Jerusalem, you would think this would be the culmination of his ministry. And if it was up to man, that is the sort of thing that we would say was the end. That is the sort of thing that we would say must be the pinnacle of his life and existence. But this moment where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, this is a signal that a historic transition is about to happen for your sake. All of those people that, that are waving palm branches and the children waving them and singing, they have no idea what Jesus is up to in these moments. They thought that he was coming into Jerusalem to stay, to set up his kingdom come there on earth in Jerusalem. But Jesus was coming into Jerusalem that day so that he might leave. He came into Jerusalem to finish his work on this earth so that he could ascend into the throne room of God on your behalf. The crucifixion and resurrection elevated Jesus into this role uh, to be the, the mediator through the crucifixion so that you might be saved. You see, the very thing that Job is longing for in chapter 9, you have in Jesus Christ. You see, Job is, is longing in this moment. He says, can I have a referee that will put his arms around us? Can I have a mediator to step in between me and God? And that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross for your sake. You see, as you move from Job into Psalm 110, and you move from Psalm 110 into Hebrews 8, there is a transition in the heavenly courts and the earthly standard. Jesus now resides in that throne room of heaven, interceding on your behalf so that you might be saved from the wrath of God, so that his fire does not consume you, but his mercy sustains you. You see, the priests of the Old Testament were working with temporal elements. They were poor representations of eternal realities. They were a copy. They were a picture. They were a shadow. But Jesus operates in the eternal. Jesus operates with holy elements for you. Job was hoping that his prayers for his children would be effectual. Jesus is actually effectual. In fact, I want you to turn with me. I want to read a larger section of Scripture in Hebrews, and we'll start in chapter 7. 
So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 23. We're going to read all the way through Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Because as we're saying before, what Job is longing for, you can hear it in every line of this section of Hebrews. Turn to chapter, chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests, so he's talking about those Old Testament priests, on the other hand, they existed in greater numbers. He said there's tons of them because they were prevented by death from continuing. So they all, he was saying they die, die off, so you need a bunch of them because they kept dying because of the sin of this world. So keep going, verse 24. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It is an eternal intercession in heaven for you, that Jesus is holding you up before God, saying, this is mine. They are with me, covered by the blood of the Lamb. And keep going in verse 26. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. What are you saying? There has never been a priest like this, because there has never been anyone that looks like this. As he describes Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, there has never been a one to walk like Jesus Christ on this earth. He is the only one who can be the mediator because of his character and the eternal holiness of his character and his reputation, not only on earth, but in the heavens above. Verse 27, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices. Let me stop there for a second. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the, the high priests of the Old Testament, there was this continual sacrifice because as they sacrificed, sin crept in again. And it was over and over and over again. It became a daily shedding of blood because sin was so rampant on this earth. And so they had to first uh, offer for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. Because of this... He did, Jesus did, once for all when he offered up himself. Now, verse 28, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Now, keep going. It's chapter 8. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on this earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now, verse 6. I want you to listen. The, the language in verse 6 is the la same language that we find in reverse this week. In, in the end of Job chapter 9, hear how, how Hebrews describes who Jesus is. But now he, Jesus, have, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted 
on better promises. Jesus is actually effectual. The, the pictures of things, the shadows of things, th th those things that were before are nothing in comparison to the ways of Jesus and that which he finds in heaven. You see, it is done in Christ. There's no hoping so. It is so. A proxy can only get you so far, but Jesus takes you the rest of the way. You see, what Job is describing in Job chapter 9 is life before Jesus, and there is terror in life before Jesus. And not just the Old Testament, but, but in each one of us, our life before Jesus. Life before Jesus is full of pain and frustration. And this is what Job is feeling in these months of terror. It is pain. It is frustration. And he's just crying out to the Lord, Lord, I need a mediator. He's crying out for Jesus even though it's not Jesus' time yet. See, the pain and frustration is similar to what we feel before we meet Jesus Christ. It's this, this weight of life. It is, is the pressure of existence. And, and, and as we live and as we exist on this life, the guilt builds up into a way that it suffocates you. And, and the guilt presses in on you so that, that life becomes lesser and lesser unto death. But once we begin to, to realize the appropriate fear of God, then we begin to understand there is nowhere left to turn. That it's only in the person of Jesus Christ that you can be set free from the pressures of this existence. And that you no longer have to question or worry about standing before God because you have the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, for you. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for you. Jesus Christ ascended to the heavenly throne room for you so that you might be saved once and for all from the wrath of God by the work of his son. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are grateful for this time. We have sung together. Lord, we have come to your word together. And now we're going to approach the table together. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would do a transformative work out of song, out of word, out of the elements. Lord, that in each one we would taste Jesus and we would be filled. And Lord, you would show us what life is like with the Christ. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light where we can be set free from the pain and torment of this world. And so, Lord, we pray for your mercy. By your mercy, set us free. By the blood of Jesus Christ, forgive us and make us whole again. It's in his name, the name of the Christ, we pray. Amen.